title of my sermon this morning is Change of Plan. Change of Plan. You know, before, so growing up in Singapore, right, there, there isn't such a thing as a daylight saving. I never grew up with understanding what this concept is, never had that. Sunset is always kind of like 7 o'clock, and then uh, sunrise is always about 7 o'clock. Because uh, that's what being, living on the equator is really good for. And then I, I moved overseas and, uh, uh, to, to Australia and, and later to the United States. And then people tell me this thing called daylight saving. I'm like, what is this? What is that? Like the time change and then you have to like, like move one hour ahead. So there's a thing that says spring forward, fall back. And then I'm like, what does this do? And I don't appreciate it very much until you, I started schooling and then you get one extra hour to sleep. That's always really good, but then you also lose one hour uh, sleep later on. But it's a thing where I never understood that this thing changed, and then uh, many funny stories of, 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 of things happening. I, there's one friend who, at the minimum, always, is always an hour late. Now, this friend is, man, seriously. Till today, if you say, let's, bro, let's meet up for dinner at 6 o'clock, you go at 7, and you might still be earlier. All right, so then one time, we had a church cleaning. We had a church work be. We came to clean church, and then uh, it usually starts really early at about 7.30 a.m. So I was the youth leader then, so I was in charge of, of driving the car to pick up all the leaves to bring to the place where we throw it away. And so I was there at 7.30, and lo and behold, there was one car there. His car. And I'm like, bro, did you receive the Spirit? And it changed you as a person? He's like, no, I forgot to adjust my clock. It was daylight saving. And then he came an hour earlier. So he was planning to be there at 8.30. He got there at 7.30. I'm like, man. But recent climate has been full of this, full of change. Yeah? A lot of things has changed from the norm. It is no longer what we think it is. I remember the first biggest change in, in my life in terms of general change was after 9-11. I remember flying was so easy before that. You could bring a water bottle, the check, you just go, la, 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 you go through. Now they're like, wow. And every time I travel, maybe it's my face. I always get like, sir, please go through the full scan. And I go through the full scan, and sir, we're going to swipe you for, 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 for gunpowder, that, that, you know, that special stripe. I always get it. Always to ask to walk aside. But a lot of things, other things that change is also... We had to change our travel plans recently. Uh, a lot of flights, the young adults were going to plan for a retreat to Korea. Imagine, Korea. And then all of a sudden, we realized that, no, we're not going to Korea. And then we're trying to change our flights and cancel or whatever. And then, well, lo and behold, the airline helped us. They canceled all the flights. And then they refunded all our money to us because they canceled it and not we didn't cancel it. All flights during that period of time, all canceled. And then me and Tiffany was also planning to go back to Taiwan to visit the family because that's the plan. Once a year, we want to go home. And then our mother-in-law told us, hey, you'll be quarantined 14 days if you come. We were only going to go for 14 days. <laughs> then we realized you can't even take the MRT. You're just stuck at home. And in the house, they're so strict. Even in the house, you have to stay one meter away from your family members. So you've got to bring a ruler around. <laughs> Too close. But the sad thing was we were also going to then fly on to, to Las Vegas to visit uh, Tiffany's third uh, elder sister. Uh, we've not met her kid and they've not met Lucas. And all that had to be cancelled. Everything's changed. I don't like change very much. 
And I'm a guy who like, I like to plan my life. I like to like, in fact, my job before I became a pastor was planning. Like down to the T of hourly schedule. I like things set up for the next three to five years. I like things to go according to my plans. And then when change happened, I get frustrated and flustered. And I'm like, ah, I, I don't like this. I don't like things being changed. I like things to go according to plan. How about you? I like things to go according to plan. And change always disrupts. Change always goes against maybe our preference. Change just does things to us. But this morning, I do remind everybody that we don't always have the power to control. None of you can, can, can ask COVID-19 to disappear. We wish you could, right? Boom! Pray it away. Nobody will, will, will wish that to happen. Like, there's things you can't control. Like, like, we can't control the fact that this would happen at this moment. We have to cancel all the flights and all our travel plans. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to have stickers on their clothes all day, every day, everywhere you go. Orange, pink, green, yellow, big one, small one. And then when you leave, they put a board there. You put, they put can be trees, can be heart-shaped, you know, just like, ugh. And then, and then you get stickers stuck to your shoe. Go, some people just throw it around. And then stickers stuck to my car. Like, seriously, somebody just walk by and go, la, 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 la. Just walk. I'm like, what? Why? How is that okay? We don't always have the power to control our life. We don't always have the ability to, to dictate how things will turn out. Especially for me, right, with Lucas, I have to learn this very quickly. I don't always have the power to control. Lucas, don't go to the door. He looks at me. Don't touch the doorknob. And then he smiles. Wow, defiance. <laughs> and then like, Tiffany like, doesn't he remind you of somebody? I'm like, no. I was a good boy. Can't always control things. Scripture tells us we can't control how tall we are. I know growing, growing up, especially when you're a sec one boy, when all the girls are so tall, Oh, all the guys are like, man, I don't know what happened. Why are all the girls so tall, man? I wish I'd be taller than them. And all of us are like, every time we come to class on Monday, hey, did you grow tall over the weekend? I'm like, no, didn't grow tall over the weekend. Then we always measure, like, oh, hey, you know, like, I'm taller than you. <laughs> Can't control stuff. I'm going to share with you something from James chapter 4. James is very strong. Right? He likes to use hyperbole, like super strong language. Uh, so much so that another guy who is very straightforward and very strong didn't like him very much, Martin Luther. If you read Martin Luther, he's straight, you know? 95 Theses, nail it to the wall. He didn't like James, the book of James. He's so much so that in Martin Luther's version of the Bible, he put James at the back of the Bible. He rearranged it. Next to Revelation, he's like, eh. if you can't finish reading the Bible, then you don't have to. <laughs> That's what actually what he said. Like, read it when you get a chance, you reach the end of the Bible, you can read James and Revelation. James, because it was too straight, 
revolution because he didn't understand it. But James actually was uh, the then uh, leader of the early startup church, and he had to help people who are in the diaspora, who are everywhere, uh, come to grips with, with life, the new norm. Um, he had to be straightforward and honest um, because he knows people always tend towards choosing the easy way. And if you look at him, he's actually straight, but he's never rude. He's never obnoxious. Maybe it's the tone we read him in our mind that causes that. But let's go to James chapter 4, verse 1. He said, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He said, a lot of times he says that the fights, the quarrels, the, the disagreement you have is because of internally you have different desires. You want things to go your way and it doesn't. You try to impose and insist on those ways and then you have disagreement. If you look at most fights, I wouldn't say all because I've not observed all fights, but most fights I've observed that I've not been a part of, I've been a part of many disagreements and fights, but those that I, can, I was able to stand out and observe is because of two persons who may both be correct sometimes and sometimes both be wrong but both because of their emotion, the passion, what they want, they insist and then they de determine that this is the only way and suddenly everybody becomes deaf. Nobody can hear anybody anymore. They just hear what they want. And then if they can't even hear themselves, that's why there's a saying, you hear what you say? And then if you repeat what you just said, you hear it, and like, oh, that sounds stupid. So James points out a reality of life. That the fact that a lot of this disagreement, even in the world stage or like in, in organization, in families, is because of our personal, internal passion actually fighting. And honestly, nobody wants to fight. I've not met a person who like really desire to get into arguments all the time. I, I, I've not really met somebody like that. If I meet this person, I will be very worried. Honestly, nobody wants war. But honestly, whenever they, they have that, it's because they're, they're fighting to do the right thing, to maintain peace, to do good. And then there's this other desire which rises up and eventually the other desire wins. So James says, it's this passion within you that's kind of fighting with each other. And it goes on. You desire, verse 2, and you do not have. It's so strong. They say, so you murder. James was writing to the early church, not to non-Christians. These are to the first generation of followers of Jesus. Describing them, you do not get what you want, so you kill people. You Christians, you kill people for your own gain. But he might go and maybe apply it in the way that Jesus does when he says, you hate somebody, you've murdered them. Yeah? It may not be a literal death because Jesus has already shown them that when you hate somebody, when you hate your brother, you hate your sister, you have indeed murdered. They said, you desire and you do not have, so you hate people. You don't get your way, you hate people. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
you ask and do not receive. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Could it be that a lot of time when we ask for something, that we actually put ourselves in the place where we actually think we are the main character in the story. And then God, can you give me what I need so that I can live my life as the main character? That's at the minimum right now in this world, six billion people. Everyone thinks that actually. But not everyone agrees. If everyone get what they want, I believe everyone will die. But we don't. Because God not only look at us individually, God look at us as a community. Currently, there's a lot of people who have to make sacrifices in their desire. Their plans have been changed. There's people who, especially those working in the front line, which I really feel strongly for them, that they have plans to go places, to do things, and they can't because of the current situation. And they did it not because of their own benefit. They do it to help others. Got friends who postponed their wedding. Yeah. Can't attend graduation. Can't be home with the family. For others. And God sees that. And God will reward them. But that's life, you know. God looks at us as a community, as a whole, as a family. So the Bible challenges us that when a change of plan happens, we feel bad about it, not because of what's right, but often because of what our personal desire is. And, and, and honestly, God is saying, do you need to like take a step back and look at where you're going? What? are your desires ultimately leading you to? We talked about this this morning in our teens class. Like, what do you want in life? It's a difficult question to ask a young person because if you asked me back then, I, I wouldn't have a good answer. And one of the answers was exactly the same answer I gave. What do you want to do in life? I said, I just want to play games. I gave the exact same answer when I was that age. And I just like, that is the perfect life. And then, of course, I was not the only one uh, during my, my, my time that, that gave the answer. There was a few of us who would give same, the same answer. Oh, that would be the dream. Those of you who do not know, my, when I, I was that age, that, a, a teen, game was a new thing. There was no, like, computer game. We were, like, the first generation of computer gamers. Like, it was a flat 2D green color screen. We walked left and right, and that was awesome gaming. Then it improved to be 3D, and then you could, in really rustic 3D, the drawing was horrible, ugly. I look back at it, I played that game for hours? Look at today, the games are like real life. But then what, what happened is one of my friends went on, and he actually fulfilled that dream. He was a game tester. He got paid to play games. And all our friends are like, bro, you fulfilled the dream for all of us. You be, you're the promised one. <laughs> but then, a couple of weeks ago, we caught up again. He's based in Seattle. I caught up with him because of the COVID-19, see how he's doing, how things over there. He says, bro, I quit. 
You were the promised one. What happened? Why did you quit? I got bored. From playing games? He gets to play. Mind you, he gets to play games that are not released yet before the world realized there's such a game. He's played it. He's at the forefront of technology. He has experience. You have, his gaming chair moves 360 degrees as he plays games. He goes to work and he sits in that chair and he plays games. And he got bored and he quit. You know, job doesn't fulfill us. Doesn't satisfy us. And he said, you, so in that phone call, he's Christian. He's like, you talk about me? You want to be given? Now you're what? You're a pastor? Said, what is that? So we had a whole conversation about, you know, what we desire in life and what we chose to do and how actually when you get there, you actually don't give you what you think you get. You know, some of you have made plans for holidays that when you plan the holiday, you thought the holiday was going to give you what? Why do you go on holiday anyway? Relax, have fun, enjoy sightseeing. Have you been on holiday where the person who go on holiday is so stressed? Come on, guys, we're going to wake up at 7 o'clock. We're going to leave the house at 7.30. We're going to go eat breakfast, and then we're going to go visit this site. And then, okay, guys, let's go, let's go. We've done with this. We talk photo, photo, photos. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Oh, my goodness. I wake up earlier for the entire holiday than I've ever been in my life consistently for 10 days. I went on holiday with these people once and never again. Missed the point. Then I realized that some people go on holiday to see things, to experience life. And some people go on holiday to... So me and my older sister, we are perfect holiday partners. We go, that's there. What are we going to do next tomorrow morning? We decide when we wake up. Nice! <laughs> what time do we wake up? When we wake up. <laughs> and then I wake up. She's not awake. So I go eat breakfast. I came back. I eat breakfast already. And she woke, well, she woke awake by then. Great. Let's go for brunch. <laughs> sure. Let's go for brunch. Then we take out. We, we do do some homework, mind you. We, we do plan. We list out everywhere that we, we prioritize. Let's say there's 100 places to see in that place. What are the top 10? What are the next 20? So right, we look at the top 10. Which I don't want to go see today. Three, four, and five are near each other, and they're kind of nearest to us. Let's go see three, four, and five. How long should we spend three, four, and five? Depend on how the place feels. Right, we go there, nice. Some places we planned, so we did a really crazy uh, a trip down the east coast of the United States. We went there for holiday, and, and we were planning to go all the way down. We go to Philadelphia for Philly cheesesteak, and then we're supposed to go down and then go back to Washington, D.C. So we were supposed to stay one night in, in uh, Philadelphia. And then we drove down from New York, and then we were in Philadelphia. We went to Philadelphia, we arrived about 10 a.m. in the morning, and then we walked around, walked around. We had our Philly cheesesteak at about lunchtime. And then my sister looked at me, and I looked at her. We're not staying here, aren't we? No, this place is boring. <laughs> so we drove out of town, and we left straight away. And we traveled really well together. Change of plans. We go on holidays, we go on things. We, we think the thing we plan for will give us what we desire, but many 
times the thing we plan for actually don't give us what we desire because we're looking for it at all the wrong places. Family relationships are not built by forcing the family to eat together at the family dinner table. Although that's a very good practice, my family, my parents' house, we do that. We're going to eat together at the table. But it's more about what you do while you're sitting at the table, right? Rather than that, you just physically sit there. I've been to dinners where everybody sits at the same table, everybody's doing this. You know? Then, then, then the worst part, I mean, there's like 20 people or 15 people, and then one guy goes, <laughs> then everybody look at him. What's so funny? And he's like, nothing. When I was in the United States, uh, people asked me where I'm from. And I told them, hey, I'm from Singapore. And most people at that time when I went there was like, where? So I do, I, you do realize that I went to school in Andrews University, is in Michigan, right? Michigan, where all the Great Lakes are. And then, and this one day I, I went to, we do, went, went door knocking to do some uh, cold pottering, book selling thing. I went to one of the, the town that is about 45 minutes east of uh, Barron Springs, which is a country town, right? And I went there, and, then, and we were chatting. The lady was pretty nice. And we were like, oh, we're here. We're, we're, we're seminary students. I'm, from, I'm here to, to sell books. And, then, and, and she said, oh, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Singapore. I said, oh, I know where Singapore is. That's from school. And they're like, whoa, everybody didn't know where Singapore is. And here I am, 45 minutes east in Michigan, like Ulu town, man. And somebody knows where Singapore is. I'm so proud of her. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Singapore is about 20 minutes drive from here. <laughs> then I realized there was a Singapore in Michigan. What? I'm from Singapore. I never knew there was a in Singapore. They even have their own money. The Singapore money. Three dollars. You bring three dollars to the Kopitiam? Fake money. Call police. It's actually a Singapore in Michigan. Yeah, it's dead now. If you go there, it's, it's like grass. I actually drove and looked at Singapore. You have to, right? You have to. And there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's like nothing. This was the best they had. They were also a jetty, a port, ferry port, uh, Lake Michigan. Maybe that's why they chose Singapore, because Singapore was a fishing village. I don't know. And it's like, look at that, man. 1830s. Before us. We stole the name. I don't know, man. I don't know whether we... Just how come? Yeah. Ah. But Singapore. Sunny Lautama. I don't know. Strange, eh? Could it be that the Bible promises us Singapore, the country, the city, the awesome place in His plans for our lives, but because we misunderstood, we end up going to Singapore, Michigan. Could it be that the life God promised us that is beyond our control very often brings us to a wonderful place beyond our imagination, beyond what the lady who I spoke to in Michigan who said she knew Singapore, like, you don't know Singapore. You'd be so surprised what Singapore means to me and what it means to you. 
Eventually, I explained, I showed her photos of Singapore, and she's like, oh, wow. i like, didn't it occur to you that Singapore is a dead town? I can't be from there. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's been dead for a while. Could it be that the thing, the dream we chase, the plans we make is actually a dead dream that doesn't even exist? That life that God promised is abundantly overflowing. And if you choose to allow God to take control, it brings you to somewhere you've, you've never expected to be at. The scripture reading today says that we are jars of clay. I love that text. Because jars of clay uh, uh, brings out so many things. You know, Jars of clay are made from clay. And clay by itself, before it is molded, is pretty much mud. Yeah? If you've been to where they actually dug the, the clay out, some grounds that are in houses near where we, me and my dad used to live had clay. And that was bad because you can't plant things. You won't grow. But then for the potter, those are perfect soil. So clay, before they are molded, are, are useless. But then if you allow a master potter to take the clay to beat it sometime, push the air out, grind it, add water to it, nourish it, melt it, soften it, and allow him to mold it into the shape that he desires and let him burn it, then the vessel becomes useful. It becomes something of importance. It becomes something that is no longer mud. But then the vessel, the scripture tells us, is not just, doesn't just exist as a vessel. We're not just called to be Christians for the sake of being a Christian. The vessels, the jars of clay that God molds are not just for being a jar. Like being a jar doesn't fulfill the destiny of that mud that's been molded. It was there to hold treasures. The jars of clay that Jesus molds are intended to hold treasure that is not from the mud itself. The mud cannot want to be more valuable by transforming themselves from mud to jars. It is what they hold that makes them precious. And God says, I am the treasure you should hold. Let me when you become a Christian, when you choose Christianity, you are saying, God, you become the treasure in my life. You make the plans in my life. And if my plans need to be changed, you change it because I know you cause me to become valuable. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. When we allow ourselves to be jars, to be molded, to hold the things that we're supposed to hold, to hold the treasure we're supposed to hold, then the world will see that these jars acknowledges somebody beyond them. The church are made out of jars of clay, 
And when all of us hold this treasure together, you know what this place becomes? A treasury. A place where when people walk in, they are all by the immense treasure held in this place. Because the jars have acknowledged that what they're supposed to do is not to be empty vessels, but to be holders of treasure. You do not always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. So this morning, fellow jars of clay, when God changed your plan, He's not trying to destroy the jar. Most likely, He's cleaning the jar, trying to fill it up with the treasure He's prepared. And it's your choice whether you want to be empty jars, to be mud in the ground, or to be jars that's been washed, soaked in the water, burned to be hardened, prepared to hold treasures heaven have prepared for you. Amen.